The following is a Pro Football Network podcast, the primary voice for pro football at profootballnetwork.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome in to Between the Hashes, another episode, another week of college football. We're heading right into the, the home stretch. Thanksgiving week approaches, rivalry week. The annual SEC Plays a Cupcake Week is ahead of us. It's week 12, college football season, as we enter the last two week stretch. I'm Ken Miller. Thanks for joining us. Tony Pauline, as always. How we doing? Okay, okay. Better than a lot of coaches who have been getting the pink slips at seemingly a neck-breaking pace. I mean, like, wow. I mean, these guys are uh, just in one day, which I think isn't a surprise at Virginia Tech right from the get-go. Um, I mean, he just seemed out of place there. I guess the 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 bottom line there is, or the – it, you know, uh, the lesson there is if you're a good coach at Memphis, stay at Memphis because <laughs> the grass isn't always greener uh, where you may want, where you may go next. That's the underlying thing here. Has Mike Norvell turned the corner at FSU or is it just a product of some superior athletes like a Jermaine Johnson actually helping them win some games here? That's uh, we'll see what happens. With that, competition. that also to also that as well. I, uh, talked to a staffer at Virginia Tech and it was like three weeks ago and he basically called me and called his mom and everybody that he knew and he was like hey uh so if you don't need job openings uh come the year end I'm gonna be looking for a job so this does not come as a surprise for anybody but also especially the staff so it's like they knew at Tech and I thought they'd at least be playing some fun football because they figured they'd be on borrowed time you know bring back the old beaver ball go for it on fourth down don't punt in your own territory type of deal but they didn't and that's really why uh we're looking for a new new coach at Tech. So let's get back into it, though. Week 11, my brain is on quarterbacks. So I ranked all 130 quarterbacks yet again. I don't know why I choose to do this to myself, but I did it. Uh, but let's look back. One of the quarterbacks and one of the players and games that sort of took the weekend by storm. It was the big marquee game at 330, Georgia versus Tennessee. What do we see? The Volunteers versus the Bulldogs. I mean, it started off good for Tennessee and her and in Hooker. I mean, but I think like the Kentucky game, where we saw Kentucky kind of keep that game close, the opponents or Georgia's opponents just does not have the firepower to stay with that uh, team, especially stop them defensively. I thought Hendon Hooker played very well early on. I think Hendon Hooker has also done a real good job slowly becoming a passer from a thrower in an athlete. I think he's absolutely improved his draft stock obviously they just couldn't hang with georgia georgia has too much firepower but i think overall if you're an nfl scout what you saw early on from uh hendon hooker the quarterback from tennessee who oh by the way played at virginia tech last year uh, i think you've got to you got to look at it in a positive light it, they're the best first quarter team in football in my opinion right now this tennessee team is or at least their offense i don't know about the defense altogether but they put up more points in the first quarter than anybody else. It's almost more than any, or at least at one point early in the season, they were putting up more points in the first quarter than any other two teams combined. So that's why it wasn't a surprise to see them jump out to a lead and in the first quarter with a lead. That was about all they had. But 
Hooker going 24 for 37 for 244 and a touchdown. It didn't get better as the game went on. Unfortunately, the Georgia defense really sort of stacking up against anybody across the country. They looked good. I know there were some injuries too. Georgia's defense had some injuries, but we'll uh, we'll see what that status is. There's a good old clean, clean old fashioned hate. I believe in two weeks when they play Georgia tech and then they get uh, the sec title game at this point. So it's a big games for Georgia going forward. I keep getting asked about Jordan Davis as well. Uh, I'm excited if they do play Alabama to see Jordan Davis stand next to Evan Neal. Cause that would be, that's one for the ages to watch those two big men line up against each other. You have to kick Evan Neal to the interior of that. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I don't well, know if George, uh, Jordan Davis on the edge too much. I just maybe they're going to be captains, and we can actually get one of those. Remember Sean Oakman from Baylor? One of those images that goes viral. Where I'm, how big was Oakman at Baylor at that point? So just seeing them next to one of them maybe would be a really cool thing to do. So let's keep it going, keep it rolling with Week Eleven review. Purdue does not get it done. They uh, they do not knock off Ohio State. They do not stop the pass at all. They do not stop the Ohio State offense, even though Aiden O'Connell threw for three hundred plus yards against Ohio State secondary. What do we see? Well, I mean, the matchup that we were looking at was George Karlaftis against those two awesome uh, Ohio State tackles. And I think it was a victory for the two Ohio State tackles. Karlaftis finished, I believe, with three tackles and one tackle for loss. And I said, my concern about Karlaftis coming into the season or coming into this game, I should say, not this season, coming into this game is whenever he's gone up against bigger offensive linemen, big-bodied offensive linemen, Minnesota, uh, to start the season, for example, he has seemed to struggle. They seem to be able to out-position him. He's an incredible athlete. He's got great upside. Obviously, he's going to have to add some bulk and weight to his to that water polo uh, frame. It is going to have to get a little bit stronger. He's got great upside, but I think you know we're seeing the way to stop George Karloftis or at least slow him down is put a big body tackle uh, next to him. And, and in the case of Ohio State, they were not just big body tackles, and even Minnesota, they were athletic big body tackles. It's the, the wave of the future for the NFL. If you look at the the growth of a Jordan Mailata at, with the Philadelphia Eagles, these massive men who come from different backgrounds but are just the underlying aspect of these guys' is athleticism. So I'm, I, I like athletic tackles myself. I think they're a lot of fun to watch, but it's that's an interesting point to look at who Karloftis would eventually match up against in the NFL. Are there big-body athletic offensive tackles right now? Absolutely. So at the – That'll be an interesting as we go. Not, not only who he lines up against, but how is he used? Is he stood up over tackle? Is he lined up wide on the outside so he can rush around those guys? You know, they, they, they pinch him inside. I think right now, if you pinch him inside, uh, you're going to be able to slow him down if you get the right blocker on the other side of the line of scrimmage. That's interesting. Now, now, I, now I have a different question. Is there – does that help – or does it harm him, his different alignments? Or as a, are you looking for that when you're scouting somebody? Like, just use Karloftis, for example. You watching, obviously, where he lines up, but and then do you realize, is that coming to the scouting profile or report on a player? It's like, hey, he actually is significantly better outside. You know, does that project better for a certain player and body types, I guess, is the best question? It has to. I mean, you want versatility in a guy but you also want someone that's going to fit your system. I mean, Zayvon Collins last year, he was good out of a three-point stance, standing over tackle and playing in space. I, I think Zayvon, I, I think George Karloftis is probably not as good out of, out of a three-point stance as Zayvon Collins was, but you always want that versatility. You know, I think scouts will always tell you what can a guy do. 
And that's understandable. I think where they make the mistake is they don't look at what a guy can't do or what a guy can't do well at present time. So I think with somebody with Karloftis, if you're playing a four-man front uh, and all four men have their hands in the ground, doesn't necessarily have to be a uh, a one-gap system. All four guys have their hands in the ground. Karloftis may not be your player. If you're playing a 3-4 and he's an outside, you're going to use him as an outside linebacker in a one-gap system, I think uh, he, he slides right into that sort of uh, scheme. There you go. See, the, that's this is why I like to ask these kinds of questions to you specifically because it's these are the answers that I learned something from, and so I hope everybody else does as well. So that was uh, there was obviously more games, but those were the reviews. You gotta, like I always say, you gotta look back to look forward. We have some uh, before we look forward. Uh, we have news, so let's get to the news section of this one. Let's talk draft news specifically. A lesser known person, but then we'll rope in a uh, more highly known, high profile player, as you will. Uh, but a lesser known player from Culver Stockton, Andrew Rupchich, the tackle. Week eight riser, if you read my uh, weekly columns from Culver Stockton. I mean, I watched the film on this guy, I was just blown away. And my first question is, where the heck is Culver Stockton? I mean, Culver Stockton, you think, was somewhere in California, it's actually in the state of Missouri. Uh, but the film on this guy is outstanding. And after I wrote about him as a weekend riser, I got calls from scout buddies of mine who said, hey, you know, we got a draftable grade on this kid. And he came into the season with a basically a, a fringe priority free agent, more of an undrafted free agent type of grade. Uh, uh, Rupchich of Culver Stockton, the massive offensive tackle. And I would implore anybody, you know, go out there, to, you know, Google his name. You'll be or do an internet search of his name. You'll be able to find some film on him. Just watch this cat play. He's playing in the NFLPA NFL game, kind of crossing my fingers that he gets the call up to the Shrine game because I think he absolutely deserves it. A lot of fun. A big, massive guy. Want to see how he does against better competition. As I said in my article in Week 8, I mean, this is a guy who threw an option pass 40 yards and hit his target on a dime. So it tells you something about his athleticism. Six seven, six, seven, three, 23. He's a big dude. He's athletic. It's not hard to see him play if you watch, even just Culver Stockton in general. He's he sort of commands your attention when you watch. I've watched when you when you pulled up the name, when you sent it to me on the script here, just a little word for the wise. If you're ever going to do things like this, you got to make sure you you figure it out or, or learn who you're talking about. So I got whatever I could. There's tape that you mentioned out there. You just search his name and you'll you'll be able to come across it. A guy you don't have any problem knowing who he is or finding tape on him. The fabulous 2019 season that was, that has not been replicated. Justin Ross from Clemson has officially, it looks like he's entering the NFL draft, but he's going to have foot surgery or had foot surgery at this point. I don't know where what the status is of that. But Justin Ross, do we have large concerns for Justin Ross based on his now two years since that fabulous 2019 season? I have to. You mean you have to. First, the neck injury, which kept him on the sidelines last year. Now he's got a foot injury. It looked fractionally as explosive as game impacting in 2021 as he did in 2018. Uh, 2019, I think it was. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, I, I think I got it wrong, actually. I think it was the 2019 season. The one, right. like 2018 was the the 20 yards per catch, 21 yards per catch season where he was. You know, he's, not, he's, not a, he's not a burner. He's not a true downfield threat. He's more of a bigger, you know, I don't want to say possession receiver because he is a good vertical receiver. But when you're having these constant injuries, significant injuries, season-ending injuries, that's got to be a major red flag. And everyone thought when we watched him with Trevor Lawrence, you know, in 2019, 
wow, this guy's going to be a top 15 pick. Hasn't gone all that well for Justin Ross. I hope he clears. You know, he, he gets the thumbs up as far as medically, uh, the medicals are concerned. But, you know, that's going to be a big question moving forward. Then his testing numbers. And they're going to be talking about his durability. Justifiably so. Really, that's going to be a topic of conversation up through draft day. It's it's unfortunate for a guy like him too because yeah. you you can't reach a certain like you you plateau as a freshman you know we've seen it from some quarterbacks recently too Brock Purdy comes to mind he comes in as a freshman plateaus and can't reach it it's almost it's almost not fair to be measured up to it but if you're going to flash that old sort of elite level potential you want to make sure that you're able to obviously maintain that or at least showcase you can get there again Justin Ross is not now unfortunately hopefully he uh, he gets better in time to to test as well in the the offseason circuit for the draft so let's keep it rolling underclassman news though for the 2022 NFL draft this is going to be a hot topic for the next few months here as we you know navigate through who's eligible for the draft there's the window of all fourth year players are now basically automatically declaring for the draft they have to opt back in so underclassman news is a little bit different you got to make sure you're reading through properly on the, what, what level of, uh, or what, I guess, how many years they removed from high school at this point to, to yeah. classify them as a true underclassman because and I've seen some redshirt sophomores right now are listed as seniors on their profiles because they've just been out of college or they're in college for four years. So but the first one up, though, Makai Garner from Louisiana. We've talked about him before. We're talking about him again. Talked about him a couple of times. Uh, he was a, a riser about three or four weeks ago. He's someone that I wrote about over the summer. He's getting a lot of buzz in the uh, scouting community. Big shutdown corner with outstanding upside. I was first told that, you know, he was a guy who, if he entered the draft, middle round picks, maybe day two selection. I keep hearing, though, that Makai uh, Gardner, there we go, Makai Beckner, Makai Gardner, very likely, the feeling is he's going to return to Lafayette for another season, which is kind of unusual in the sense that, He's an overage guy. I was told he already has, he already has, I believe, a son. Uh, I, I mean, everything lines up with him that you would think he's going to enter the draft, especially because a lot of scouts believe he's a top 100 pick. But the sense I'm getting from talking to people is Garner could go back to Lafayette, uh, for Louisiana Lafayette, for at least one more season, which I think would surprise a few people. Yeah, that surprises even me because, as we've talked about it, you, you know, you got to strike while the iron's hot type of deal especially with this louisiana program they're on the up and up but i don't know how much longer billy napier has as his uh, days as head coach at louisiana because there's a lot of power five jobs that he's of course linked to because he's you know he's a terrific coach you're losing the all-time record holder for passing touchdowns and levi lewis as well from your program so as good as they are this year they might not be able to replicate that next year and then you know you lose eyes based on i mean there's multiple players that have already gotten invites to their bowl games or all-star games as well. Percy Butler and uh, Taylor Humphrey on their defense as well, going to the tri-bowl, it looks like. So, you know, strike while the iron's hot. Hey, I mean, go back and finish the degree if that's also a goal and, and set more records and help your, your college program win. I got nothing against it, but definitely want to strike while the iron's hot. So another defensive back in the South, too, that we can talk about. This one, people people like him. People, people talk about him with high praise. Arkansas defensive back, secondary member, the safety, Jalen Catalan. Yeah, it's an opposite situation with Catalan. A couple of weeks ago on the show, I had reported that Catalan, this is while he was still playing, everyone's saying the signs point to, towards Catalan entering the draft. 
Uh, he's been injured. He hasn't played since the beginning of uh, October, played six games this year, 46 tackles, two interceptions, four PBUs. And the fact that it looks like he's only going to play half a season, I, I'm told, has no bearing on his draft decision. Catalan is letting people know his intention right now is to enter the draft. Um, so the fact that he's playing a half a season, I, I think that, you know, it's not going to help his draft stock. He's not going to, I think, shoot up draft boards the way he possibly could have if he played a whole season. But for what I'm hearing now, Catalan, despite the injury, all signs point to him uh, entering the draft and in the end being one of the top safeties in the 2022 NFL draft. There's upside. I know a lot of people like him. Uh, he's, he's not never, he's never really mentioned with the top portion of the top, maybe obviously the top safety spot is for Kyle Hamilton, but it's a hard pressed person to, uh, to get near the top with in that regard with how people think of or what people think of Kyle Hamilton. So good for him. If he's, if he's here and if he's confident, you know, again, striking while the iron's hot, this is the opposite situation though, where, you know, your name is sort of falling away because you haven't played. So I hope for the best for him. We'll see obviously where it, uh, where it aligns and where we go from there. Let's stay in the SEC, though. There's a trio of underclassmen that we have to discuss here. Texas A&M might have a mass exodus of yeah. underclassmen, but I don't know if any of them are going to be surprising because they're all right. at or near the top of their position brackets. Yeah, I, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, again, I, I think I wrote about it during the uh, Saturday article and then we spoke about it here. I'm told Kenyon Green, the offensive lineman, is going to enter the draft. Should come as a surprise no one. I got further confirmation of that last week. And then when I asked about the other players uh, on Texas A&M, uh, Jalen Widemeyer, the uh, safety, Isaiah Spiller, the explosive running back, the Marvin Leal, the defensive tackle, I was told they're all entering the draft. I know that Widemeyer, it's believed that he is zeroing in on representation. Same thing with Leal. Can't get my finger on the pulse as to what Spiller's doing as far as representation is concerned, but I was told he's leaving. So, you know, besides Kenyon Green, I think if you're doing mock drafts, good bet that Jalen Weiermeyer, Isaiah Spiller, and DeMarvin Leal, the defensive tackle, will all be eligible or will, or will be entered in the, into the 2022 NFL draft. And I think all will end up as top 75 selections. Weidermeyer leading the pack. Although some will argue it's going to be Kenyon Green. I just don't know about that. Right now. <laughs> I was going to, yeah, there's, there's the four. Leal is is thought of very high as on the interior. Weidemeyer up there in the tight end rankings. Spiller, depending on where you're looking, one or two at, at running back. And uh, depending on how high Kenneth Walker eventually gets to, Weidemeyer has a career 16 touchdowns. Uh, and then obviously Spiller is who you thought he was or who everybody thought he was. He's going to go for back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons, uh, has 24 career rushing touchdowns at this point. He contributes in the passing game. He's got terrific moves. Spiller, Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker. It's a fun running back class, at least at the top. And then as they go through, there's ter- terrific value for running backs that are actually developing as pass catchers as well. So that's the Texas A&M trio or quartet, if you were open Kenyon Green as well. Looking like Jimbo's going to have to do a lot of reloading, I guess is the most popular term in college football. So reload a bunch of positions. Hopefully he's got the talent behind him because – that team's stacked and needs a quarterback if Calzada can continue to uh, to improve. But let's move to the future SEC team, the old rival of Texas A&M, I guess, in the Big 12, Oklahoma, Brian Asamoah. Uh, again, another guy who's going to enter the draft. Obviously, Oklahoma has had an incredibly disappointing season. As I tweeted out 
last Saturday. Everyone talks about Spencer Rattler and the disappointment there. To me, the biggest disappointment has been this Oklahoma defense that gets pushed around up and down the field, despite the fact they have a lot of talent. Asamo was highly rated, the underclassman, uh, the linebacker, coming into the season. Some scouts gave him a second-round grade. He's a smaller run-and-chase type linebacker. I don't know if he goes in the second round. I do think he's not getting out of day two. Uh, a great pursuit linebacker, solid, solid instincts, very intense, makes plays in all direction. directions. Obviously, if you're going to blitz him, he needs a free shot because he can get easily blocked from the action. But just like our Texas A&M guys that we just uh, mentioned, Brian, you're doing those mock drafts. Brian Asamo of Oklahoma should fit in somewhere in day two, and uh, you'll be smart because from what I'm told, he will enter the draft. There you go. This is, to me, this is, we're almost to silly season or crazy season, depending on how you want to discuss what happens with the draft here in the next month and month and change until we get into January and the, now the cutoff date of February, I guess, February 4th is the cutoff date. So we'll, uh, we'll see. We'll keep you updated though. That's for sure. Declaration and underclassman trackers on profootballnetwork.com. Those are coming in the next few days as well as complete, senior bowl and shrine bowl coverage as well. So I got to get the teases, the promotions out of the way here uh, before we flip gears and start looking towards week 12 of college football. We've already seen some games, some action again, Lou Nichols at central Michigan looking terrific. Jack Sorensen also looking great at Miami of Ohio. So yeah, um, uh, I love Sorensen. I think he's that guy. I mean, he's the epitome of a Mac receiver. I love, I love his game. Like the Renfro kid out of Clemson. There you go. Hey, look at Jack Swartz and could carve himself out a role in the NFL in the near future here. So you'd be you'd be hard pressed to find a duo, I think, that likes the Maction better than you and I. Uh, maybe even you, you got to probably throw in Ollie and Ian from Pro Football Network, our draft team as well. Because... You could slam, slam the brakes on the you on the you portion of that. There, it's college football, so I don't care. Uh, you know, I, I, you know. Maris could be playing Wagner and I'll watch the game, uh, but uh, I don't prefer, you know, obviously the top conferences and the top teams, but uh, whatever's on, I'm watching. It's, there's not a, there's not a moment that it's on. It's to the point where my daughter actually, she looks at me and she goes, you know, we'll be doing whatever we're doing. And she'll be like, okay, mommy and I are going to go here. Daddy, you probably have football to go watch, right? She's three years old. And she's already telling me that I got to go watch more football. So I got, I got a tough critic at home here. So, all right. Week 12, we're going to do things a little differently here. We're going to talk about not the top teams. This It's a perfect segue. College football's on. We're watching. Let's go. Let's branch out a little bit here. You prompted me to do this. So the week 12 previews, we're going to look at smaller schools. Yeah. Montana State at Montana this weekend. Well, the thing is, this is the final weekend of a regular season play for uh, FCS, Division I, AA, Division II. And, you know, oftentimes these guys get overlooked and all of a sudden you see their name on the list for the Shrine game, for the Senior Bowl. And a lot of names that we're going to talk about will either will be at either of those bowls or they're players that I've written about. Now, Montana State versus Montana is one of the uh, one of the top college rivalries, probably right up there with uh, North Dakota State, South Dakota State, where this is a really a punch in the mouth. Really, there's a lot of dislike between these two teams. Montana, for the longest time, had been on the top of the uh, Division One Double A mantle until North Dakota State came over, came around and kicked them off. Uh, Montana State, though, this is the team I'm going to talk about. They have an outstanding linebacker. If you get this game, keep an eye on Troy Anderson, number fifteen, outstanding measurables, six foot four, two hundred thirty five pounds, runs and plays in the low four sixes, and he plays to those measurables. One hundred one tackles this year. 
eight and a half tackles for loss, seven PBUs. I mean, this guy is really developing into a three down linebacker. I have a six round grade on Anderson uh, out of Montana state. There are some scouts that believe he could go early portion of day three. If he shows well in one of the postseason all-star games. So Troy Anderson of Montana state linebacker, number 15. If you watch this game or you see highlights, keep an eye on him. He's a forceful guy who makes plays all over the field. Love his next level potential as a three down defender. It's one thing to measure that that big, that tall and, and wide, but it's also another to run as fast and then play as fast. You can run all you want, but if you're not playing that fast. So you've got my interest in Anderson. I'm, as, as we mentioned, I'm interested in all levels of football, all games of football. I remember covering high school football back in the day. I, I worked for a stat tracking app and we had a big deal with the Wyoming High School Athletic Association and the six-man football. Even those were some terrific level of uh, high school six man football in Wyoming. If you don't think it sounds fun, then you're uh, you're the, you're listening to the wrong podcast because mm-hmm. that was some terrific stuff, terrific action. So let's keep it moving. I understand if people don't know that West Florida has a football team because it's relatively new, a couple of years old at this point, maybe a half decade. I, I forget what the inaugural season was, but I had uh, somebody I knew and frequented uh, played f- soccer for them back in the day. And uh, the football team wasn't around back then. So now uh, a new football program, I believe they're pretty good. And then obviously Titletown, Valdosta State. But Valdosta State versus West Florida, another game to watch this weekend. This is, uh, uh, West Florida is a good Division II football uh, program. They were in the championship game a few years ago. I believe they're ranked number, uh, look, they're ranked number two right now. Valdosta State is ranked number five. So forget about Michigan State, Ohio State. I mean, uh, <laughs> West Florida versus Valdosta State is going to have national implications, albeit a full division lower. Now, this other game also has some real good NFL uh, prospects. One of my favorite small school receivers, DeAndre Gallimore from Valdosta State, smaller guy, 5'9", 175 pounds, runs and plays in the four threes. 44 receptions this year for for 773 yards, 12 touchdowns. I mean, he is a guy who is a legitimate downfield threat, also averaging more than 30 yards on 11 kick returns this year with another score. He is a guy that, as they say, if he's even, he's leaving because he's got that kind of speed and he plays to the four threes and he's also a good pass catcher. Problem is, as far as NFL uh, scouts are concerned, a little bit short for the receiver position at 5'9", but you put him in the slot, you line him up, backed off the line of scrimmage to give him a running start, and he can be lethal. West Florida has got a highly considered safety in it by a guy by the name of DeAnthony Bell. Uh, bigger guy, fluid, very smooth, 54 tackles this year, two interceptions, two pass breakups. You know, it'll be interesting. Bell is the kind of guy he's better at safety making plays up the field. Against Gallimore, he's going to have to make the play, plays moving in reverse because Gallimore can take it deep. So, again, if you get this game, and I hope you do, at least I hope I do, uh, that is a matchup to watch. West Florida also has a good uh, receiver of their own NFL prospect by the name of David Durden. He's not as fast as Gallimore, but he's not that much slower. Probably a guy who runs and plays in the low four fours, averaging just under 25 yards per reception this year, I believe on 32 catches, nine touchdowns. So that is a big game as far as rankings or national title implications in division two, but there's some also there's some really good next level prospects in this game. The, the thing, thing that, that I'm always, always thinking of back then, Division II, FCS, is the the players like Greg Reed back in the day, the former FSU cornerback who 
was great undersized. He's now, he was a terrific kick returner and player for the Montreal Alouettes and the Canadian football league as well. But you know, after they have trouble, it's like last chance you made all these, the, those kinds of players famous, they have troubles at the major football level, they go down. And so there's talent at all these positions, especially at a school like Valdosta state, the West Alabama's West Florida now too. So there's, there's talent to be found in football across the country. That's worthy of watching. And these are just two games that are that need more recognition, in my opinion. So I love Jackson the platform. State, uh, Jackson State, I, I mean, um, he's doing a great job at Jackson State recruiting all these Division yeah. One guys that didn't make it at their programs. I think Jackson State's like 9-1 and one now as they move towards uh, the playoffs yeah. or the final game of the season, then the playoffs, I should say. I mean, yeah, gone are the days that it's just like a JMU and a North Dakota State to watch. It's You got to watch all these games. You got to watch all these teams. They're, they're a lot of fun. They're a lot of fun to go to as well especially like the last one we'll talk about the Florida classic. This is a game that if you're a college football fan, if you're a music fan, this is a game that's got to be on your bucket list. The Florida A&M band and the Bethune Cookman band, when they perform at halftime, it, the crowd fills up even more than the actual game. So it's uh it's, it's an event. It's a whole weekend. It's amazing to be in person when you feel the drums beating on your, you know, everything. Be, it's just, it's a miraculous fun event to go to. And there's fabulous football from Florida A&M and Bethune-Cookman this year. Yeah, it's not just the bands. The announcers are hysterical. I saw Bethune-Cookman. I went to scout a game. Uh, 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 what's his name? Um, Mathis, the uh, safety, when he was a sophomore. I went to see him uh, live. And the uh, you know, the announcers are, are basically worth the, worth the price of the ticket because they're hysterical. But getting back to why we're talking about this game, you know, it, it's, it's funny, but it's sad at the same time. Not only is this uh, a big interstate rivalry, it used to be a big conference rivalry, but the uh, the MEAC is sort of the uh, 1AA version of the Conference USA. It's the ever-vanishing uh, conferences. Teams are leaving by droves. Regardless of that, two players to keep an eye on. Kamari Everett, the tight end from, uh, from Bethune-Cookman. He was a guy who was my small school sleeper at the tight end position just two weeks ago. Started his career at Louisville. Didn't have much production at Louisville, but he was someone who caught my eye because of his size. He's a, he's a massive tight end. Had some issues uh, at Louisville. Left the program. Went to Florida A and M. Hadn't played football the past two seasons. This year, forty four receptions, one hundred twelve yards, eight TDs. He is a big, fluid, athletic pass catcher who also dominates at the point of attack as a blocker. He's not your true downfield threat. He's very good. 10 to 15 yards off the line of scrimmage, a guy who adjusts to the ball well and, and catches the ball with his hands, fundamentally sound. And like I said, he can de- he's like an offensive lineman when he blocks at the line of scrimmage or on the second level. He's going to be going up against Marquise Bell, and I uh, the uh, safety from uh, Florida A&M. And Marquise Bell is a guy that I'm almost positive we're going to see at the senior bowl. He's highly rated by scouts. He's getting mid-day three grades. Some people think he could sneak into the late part uh, of day two of the draft, late third round. He is a fluid, fast, athletic safety who covers a lot of area on the field. He's got great range. He's explosive. He flashes on the scene. I mentioned Jackson State. Jackson State played Florida A&M, I believe, it was the first game of the year or one of the one of the beginning games this season. Go back and watch that uh, film if you can get it. Florida A&M safety number five, Marquise Bell. So Marquise, it's going to be Marquise's Bell, Marquise Bell's explosion and speed against the size and strength of tight end Kamari Everett from Bethune-Cookman. This is going to be a fun one to watch. I do believe that this is the 1030 uh, ESPNU game. If uh, ESPNU usually at 1030 when all the big-time games are done, 
they they stick at Alabama A and M or or somebody like that. And I, I believe this is the the ten thirty game on ESPNU is is Florida A and M at Bethune Cookman. The ten thirty game, which actually started like eleven thirty last week, because the Kansas uh, Texas game uh, was just never ending. That game didn't end, did it? I, I still feel like Kansas is celebrating as they should, and Texas is wallowing as they should. Rasheed Mathis as well, former Jaguar yes, safety yes. from Bethune-Cookman. Yeah. They, uh, Beth- BCC, as it used to be called now, just Bethune-Cookman, they've put out some some players. So is Florida A&M. It's uh, living in Tallahassee for five years, as I did, going to a couple FAMU games. It was, again, it's a lot of fun to watch these things. But Bell is very highly thought of. You can't talk to anybody that knows, uh, you know, that's worth their salt uh, in the draft community, and they don't know who he is. He's He's fabulous to watch. So... I love the individualized matchups. I also love this matchup as a college football game too, because it's just, it's one of those rare games that you just, no matter what, when, or how the circumstances are, you got to watch this game. Tune in at some point, watch the halftime show if that's all you do, but it's worth it. That is the week 12 preview week 11. Look behind week 11, look ahead for the NFL. We touched on it all. There's fabulous football to be found, not quite in the SEC this weekend. Uh, And then we'll be back with, uh, you know, some rivalry week games next week because that's what Thanksgiving is all about, right? Getting together with the loved ones that you hate, I guess. So that's that. This was uh, Between the Hashes. For Tony Pauline, I'm Cam Mellard. We appreciate you listening.